if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com. And you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. listening to Katie Says, the podcast that helps you become aligned and well. Join us for conversations with Katie Bowman, biomechanist, creator and director of the Restorative Exercise Institute, author, teacher, blogger, mother, and total body nerd. Understand the mechanical causes of modern ailments, learn how to fix them, and restore yourself to a more functional state of natural human movement. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. And now, your host, Danny Hammett. Hi there. Thank you for joining us. My name is Danny Hammett, and I get to talk with Katie Bowman each and every show as she answers questions about alignment, health, biomechanics, and all the bits and pieces in between. Hey, Katie. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I wanted to ask you, do you I know you like to eat. You like <laughs> you like food. Yeah? Yes, I do. <laughs> food is good. Do you garden? Do you grow anything? We do. Um we we have just moved into the house that I'm living in. We moved in after the end of last summer, but I'm um, in our last place. Mostly greens, 
Oh, like, sorry for yawning. Like a okay. kale, kale and spinach and onions and and herbs. Um, I don't do too much more than that because we travel um, that it's often for not because we can't tend to the garden, especially like we'll be gone six weeks this summer. Wow. Um, so that doesn't really make um, for great gardening, but we have fruit trees. So I have cherry trees and four different kinds of plums. I have Italian plums and prune plums and um, apple trees. And so I definitely produce some good food calories, but the rest we just get from, we trade a lot. Like, hey, we'll take all your kids out for a four-hour hike and you can just give us some Swiss chard and it works out pretty well. Well, that's a win-win. That's win-win for for everybody. So is this your first year with the fruit trees here? Yeah, yeah. La- at the end of last year, we'd had, um, we didn't have cherries because we came in too late, but we had a lot of plums and a lot of apples. Okay. So you know about how much crows love fruit? Yeah. Excellent. And deer. Okay. Okay. Because we used to have a cherry tree that for five years, we just watched the cherries come and go overnight until <laughs> we finally got wise to it. So, how, What did you have to do? Like, How do you keep crows off a cherry tree? Uh, netting, like double layer netting, which mm-hmm. is problematic as the tree grows larger um, because you have to get on a ladder with a stick and a bunch of people are involved. And it's kind of like um, Moby Dick, you know, you're trying to, to throw a net over this huge thing, this whale of a tree. So, But it's got to be done. If you have crows and birds, it's got to be done. I w- it's so interesting because we have four, and my sister has them. She never mentions the crows, but she has um, her her one kid who is like a crow. She would just find him up at 6 a.m. eating all of the cherries off the ladder. Like, he would just mow through them. The kid runs completely on produce. He has no affinity for processed food. He only wants to eat raw food that he's foraged himself. So he is the equivalent, I guess, of the crow. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of kids, when you were a kid, did you ever break any bones? Broke a ceramic table once, but no. <laughs> yeah. I never, I've never broke a bone. And I mean, there's, um, you know, 10 kids in my family, and there's only one broken bone. Wow. I know. And that was my, my older sister. I wasn't even born at the time. I'm, I'm number nine out of 10. My, my sister, Janet is um, profoundly deaf, and and I have a lot, six brothers. And I, I, evidently the story goes that they were trying to get her into the tree where they were playing, and so they thought they would haul her up in a shopping cart, and then like halfway up they dumped the shopping cart out and she fell and broke her arm. But then um, they told her not to tell what had actually happened, so I, I don't think it was until like a few years ago that they came clean to my dad that she didn't fall off a bike, <laughs> that they had dumped her out of a tree. There's a lot of coming clean later in your house because I know with that table story, you wrote about it in your book. So. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, coming clean seems to be a rite of passage. I agree. Just wait till your kids come clean. Yeah, I don't want to hear. Sorry. I don't, don't, don't want to know. La, 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 yeah. la, la. I'm going to look the other way. Um, well, I always wanted to break something because I was so jealous of the casts that kids got to wear. They got that attention. They got out of carrying their books to classes. People drew smiley faces and hearts. Um, And once I even tried to break something so that I could get a cast, because apparently I desperately needed attention. What did you break? Or what did you try to break? I I tried, well, I tried to break my thumb um, (laughs) because it seemed like, (laughs) it seemed like the least painful thing to do 
Um, and I didn't want to just jump out of a tree or, or anything like that. So I actually just kind of um, really pressed hard on my thumb and that didn't work. So I kind of took a hammer to it and I just ended up with a sprained thumb, a big hospital bill and some very angry parents. Um, but I never came clean. I guess I just did now. So mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry about that. I just wanted the cast. Wow, I have a yeah. whole I have a whole different impression of you now sitting in some <laughs> sitting in some garage trying to break your own thumb with a hammer. That takes like that's some serious gumption. That's yeah. like I am a determined individual. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was not rewarded with anything. Nothing. No. Just the no. lesson. The the lesson and maybe a little bit smarter after that. <laughs> My goodness. All well, right. There's all sorts of casts, though, not just the casts that people dry, draw hearts and smiley faces on, right? Correct. Casts are meant to keep things from moving so that they can heal. But the kind of casts that we're going to talk about today are things that we do that prevent some or all of our body from moving. Got any theories on casts and why and what they are? Well, I write a lot about about being casted, right? So cast, cast could imply the the thing that you put on your arm, but it's also like if people are, are artists and they mold things, right? Anytime you want something to retain its shape, you put a cast on it. That, that's what a cast, that's what to cast means is to set it in a particular shape. Um, I use casts in, I use the concept of casts in trying to explain particular physical outcomes because Parts, immobilizing parts, no matter how that immobilization goes down, the result is, you know, is always a, a version of of what happens when you're in a physical cast, like in, in a break your arm, hearts type of cast, which is um, you're setting a joint range of motion to which the musculature adapts and it adapts by becoming it adapts by atrophying atrophying being both the reduction in thickness of a muscle right so a muscle getting skinnier but also in cases uh, muscles having to adjust its length to accommodate the new joint position so either becoming shorter or longer as the joint position dictates by actually adding or taking away mass which then affects the future range of motion of that body part so um, people who've ever been injured and who's been in a cast have had that cast come off and know that there's been some sort of restoration process to to get their muscles back. And it takes a, a lot longer to get a muscle back than it does um, for it to go away in that cast. And that's because you're casted 100% of the time for the most part. But when you go to fix the muscle that was casted, the time that you're working on fixing it is a lot less. So it's not, it doesn't take longer per se. It's just that you're working on it a lot less frequently once you're out of the cast where you were working on shortening it all of the time when you were in the cast, if that makes sense. It does. If I don't have a cast with hearts on it, what would be, what do you consider ways that we kind of inadvertently possibly cast our bodies? Well, well, you're, you know, if you have a positive healed shoe, then and and you wear one a lot or often and c- casting in a non-traditional cast um scenario has to do with the frequency in which you've altered joint position so um shoes i like to start like p- the ankle and the foot are extremely 
casted tissue. So your your foot has set physical parameters or limitations that the muscles and the tissues then adjust to. So um, it could be the lack of being able to spread, right? Um, it could also be spread your toes. Okay. It, it could also be the inability for your heel to come back down to the ground. So, you know, a lot of people who are like, I've been wearing heels for so long, I can no longer not wear them. If you've ever heard people say that, what the phenomenon that they're experiencing is they've altered their geometry at the ankle so much that they've physically lost the structure necessary to stop pointing their toes, which is the joint range of motion in a heeled shoe. So, yeah, so, or when they say that, um, I mean, I've had people say to me, uh, well, the flat shoe, that's just uncomfortable. I don't know why you think those are comfortable, but they've right. spent their whole life, you know, within a high heel. Sure. So it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. it is uncomfortable. It is. Like they're absolutely telling the truth and they're really physiologically not, they don't have the equipment to not wear a heel, mm-hmm. heeled shoe. Like there's this whole therapeutic process that needs to happen. And again, it takes a really long time. Um, then there's the, I think what I'm most fascinated by is the flat ground cast. So your ankle is extremely complex. There's three joints that can deform as you walk over stones. And and if you imagine going out hiking, if you look at the surfaces that you'll be walking over, there's no two surfaces alike. The, the pitch and the angle at which your ankle needs to deform are different every single place that you step in. And so had you always been using that full range of motion, you would have maintained the tissue necessary to do so. But the flat ground itself is is a cast in that it prevents you from doing any of those other things with your ankle while you're walking. So we have to kind of broaden the notion of a cast as anything that prevents motion. And the flat ground is one of those things. And since we've been walking on flat level ground almost every single step, almost our entire life, your structures, when you look at them anatomically, when we look at the structure of the ankle joint anatomically in research, we have to remind ourselves that what we're looking at is a population that has been casted. Not You're, you're looking at a, a joint and tissue structure formed by a cast that we've inadvertently placed upon our foot just by how we've set up our physical environment. If somebody goes out and they walk every day, and they're on a sidewalk, you know, a city sidewalk, they're doing this good thing, they're walking. And it's kind of, it's it's really something to digest thinking about, well, yeah, I'm walking, but I'm not getting that full range of motion that my ankle can do. Yeah, not just the ankle, it's your ankle, knees, and your hips. Yeah. And it's your pelvis, which means it's also your lower back. So it's a whole body cast. It's just a lot easier to understand if we only talk about the ankle. But yes, like you are how you move and you have to, as I, um, you know, have talked about before with the notion of natural movement versus like an unnatural movement scenario, you have to keep referring back to the biggest picture, which is we have a, a cage, metaphorical cage that's setting parameters about what parts of us get to move or not. And we always need to remember that that's what we're looking at when we look at modern humans. We're not looking at human structure as much as um, caged human structure, casted human structure. Casted human structure. Okay, so aside from from level ground or flat ground, like sidewalks and cement and stuff and shoes, what other kind of casting can we do? Um, or we've do been, we do? We've been casted by chairs. I mean, ca- chairs... The seats, the seats that, um, you know, we talk about sitting being a problem, but 
it's not the stillness necessarily. The stillness is a separate problem from the fact that the stillness is always happening in the same geometrical formation that then cause structural adaptations to that geometrical formation. So the hip flexion and the knee flexion um, and the pelvic tilting, which is then the articulation of the lumbar spine, all of those become casted. And and when we get up and out of our chair, those those adaptations don't just go away if we're up and about for you know, an hour versus the rest of the time that we're not and in this casted position because you just slowly adapt to what you do most frequently. And what you do most frequently is sit in a chair. So so the chair is another one. And you have to remember that we've been in chairs since we were um, four or five for most of us, which means that during the period of time in which you did most of your growing, you did most of your sitting. And probably more so for this generation than our generation, your and I generation, where we got we broke up a lot of sitting with more vigorous motion. Um, now with the age of technology, um, I, I I put this in in Move Your DNA because I found this the statistic like mind blowing. So in a ca- Canadians are really good at like their public health monitoring, and so um, the data shows that like the average Canadian teenager walks eleven minutes a day. Wow. 11 minutes. That is mind-blowing. It is. Kind of disturbing, along with the mind-blowing. Just, I mean, quantifying stuff makes it all so much more clear. Right. For sure. Um, I like to convert the, like, moving around for an hour is still only 4% of your day. So what are you doing? You know, the other, I'll say 96%, but you have to cut off the sleep time. But what are you doing the rest of your waking hours? It's not moving. Right. So you have to look at what, what what are if you're still during that period of time can you cast can you get out of the cask you can still be still and get your work done but can you sit or stand differently because then that will decrease the effect of the cast that you most most um, frequent which is probably your chair in front of your computer and um well and even standing like i have a standing uh, workstation in front of my computer that I use 99% of the time. But even standing, I find I can't just stand there. You know, I have to shift. I have to hold one leg up behind me or rest one leg. You know, I kind of shift my weight back and forth because any sort of static uh, situation I start to get aggravated in. Like I can't, I, it's just, I watched Godzilla last night in the movie theater and my daughter kept saying, do you have to go to the bathroom? Do you have to go to the bathroom? Because I just can't stay in one position for very long. I get very aggravated. Yeah, it's kind of like <clears throat> once you take your shoes off, you realize when you put it – once you take positive heeled shoes off, once you discontinue wearing those and then you put on like a heeled shoe for some rare occasion, it feels like a giant wedge. You know, it's like oh, un- yeah. up your butt, you know, like <laughs> like your, up your low back's all jacked up. Once you – become a more habitual mover you become aware of all the sensations that come with being still which before because they were most frequent were kind of they are taken out of your of a part of your brain that's monitoring like anything that's the same repetitively your your mind stops bringing it to your attention because it's like well we already signaled this this many times nothing was changed so we're going to stop utilizing energy because there's obviously some reason for you to be in this position so only when you stop the habit do you become aware um, of all that you were sensing before that your mind conveniently 
um, removed for you to be um, to have to deliberate on. It's kind of like when you give up sugar, then you realize how sweet everything tastes afterwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the same. Like it, it tastes exactly the same before, but what's different is your. Um, what's different is the way that you process it. You process unique and novel things differently than you process repetitive inputs. It's it's true. I'm I'm actually in two week. I'm week two of giving up sugar, and I had some ketchup the other night, and it felt like pouring Hershey's syrup down my throat. I, I was like, "Whoa, there's so much sugar and ketchup." You don't even realize it before. No, no, nope, not at all. In fact, everything is sweet. Everything it's, it's quite savory sweet. when you're when you have sugar in your diet and you have something like that. It's a savory sensation, and then when you remove it, you just you pick out all the all the sweet. Just a heap of brown sugar here on my burger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got chairs, shoes, flat, level ground. What other kind of things do you think um, cast us? Um, well, <clears throat> I think the muscles in people's eyes are extremely casted by the distance that they maintain from their computer screen. So, so just like your muscles have a full range of motion, like in your arms and your legs, so do the muscles in your eyes looking far away versus looking really close up is created by the degree to which the ciliary muscles in your eyes are contracting or relaxing, right? So, so we don't cross train our eyes very well, right? We don't spend a lot of time, we don't spend equivalent time looking over the range of distances, which would be like using our eyes in a, in a um, constantly varied way. Instead, everything that we look at is either, um, I don't know how far your computer screen is, like, okay, I'm putting my arms down. So, so whatever the distance is between your typing position, so like two feet. So either, either your eyes are looking at something two feet or maybe at the greatest distance you look across your house and it's like 20 feet or 30 feet, depending on your house. And that's the extent that you work those muscles. Like that's the narrow range of motion. And so your eyes adapt to that and then they lose the ability to see far away, really far away, um, which requires a, a certain relaxation. So in the same way that's challenging to get your psoas to relax or your, um, your calf muscles to relax to accommodate non-heeled shoes, it becomes difficult to relax your eyes to see real, real far away because you just don't practice that, that range of motion. So, so I've been, I've been really conscientious of that one, um, especially spending so much time writing. I've never sat, even when I was in graduate school doing a thesis, I never wrote as much as I have in the last, um, four or five months. And I could just feel the tension in like the rest of my face. It's like my first, my eyes go and then everything else tenses around it. And, just taking myself out in a way to look as far away as I can really helps soften um, and help helps me hit these other ranges of motion. It's like taking the cast off. It's it's removing the parameters that um, having nothing far away to look at sets for your eyes, eye muscles. Yeah, I guess that's um, since you started talking about that, I started looking wildly around the room, just trying to <laughs> to not look um, at my computer screen. Uh, there's also, do you know that program Timeout that you no. can get? It's it's a free app on a computer, and you can actually set it so it just kind of stops your computer for a second, so that you're forced to kind of look around and take a break from that. And because otherwise, I will just stare and stare and stare. Um, but reading, what do you do? Because you and I both read a lot, you can only have it a certain distance from your eyes. So do you just practice 
stopping and looking around? Because reading can be very engrossing, as can writing. Um, yeah, How do you take those breaks for yourself? Well, what signals I think, you? I I've actually had to take. I'd have to. I have, I've had to go a step farther, which is to stop reading so much and switching to things like audiobooks because while the content of books is amazing for part of me, it's debilitating to other parts of me. And so in, in recognizing my um, more habitual sedentary patterns, reading being one of those, I had to find a way to satisfy my my enjoyment of consuming ideas um, while consuming other aspects of nature. So I've reduced my reading time by switching over to audiobooks, which I love and which I've had a whole new appreciation for because I can I can relax my eyes. Even if I just want to stay sedentary, stay in bed at the end of the day, I don't have to utilize my eyes. So it does create a different it's like a different physiology, different physiological response to that book as mm-hmm. it was before. But that's the kind of breaks. And also to set um a minimum in the same way you know, you set minimums for television time for your kids. You just set limits to reading because because it's hard to say what is good or what is not good. It all depends on your perspective. Yeah. And um, there's got to be a point if you're having physical distress because of the total quantity that you're inert or when you're reading, it's not just that you're inert, you're busy contracting your eyes that you find a, a balance so just finding a bigger balance i mean if you want to always a look challenge. away always a challenge balance is always a challenge well and um <laughs> let's talk about spanks baby what do you <laughs> what do you think about that kind of stuff that compresses your body um like a bra or and there's all different kinds of underwear right there's just your regular basic loosey-goosey stuff um, especially if you're like me and you haven't gone and bought underwear in a long time, or there's really tight, like compression stuff, uh, stuff that holds us in, uh, bras that hold us up, like with a wire or something like that. Is that something that can affect? Because as far as movement, I mean, my boobs are going to be there whether or not they're being held up, right? Or does that affect them? Oh, I would I would say that affects them. I would say that underwear is a it's a it's a little bit more of a complex argument. So I'll, I'll let people read about it in the book because there's a whole section on on underwear, men and women, um, and then going beyond just underwear to belts and um, spanks, compressive garments, and it's it it all is geometry altering. It's it all is load altering. Um, your boobs are going to be there, as you mentioned, or if someone wears, you know, tidy whities your balls are going to be there regardless. But that does not mean that it's the same mechanical environment with and without those, you know, casts. Casting meaning it's it's preventing the full range of motion of your hanging and swinging bits. <laughs> so there are potential consequences for that. And, and then, of course... I'll, I'll I'll refer you to the book from that part, but I'll I'll okay. I'll, I'll end by saying that yes, and um, there's actually I, I posted I think on our Facebook page um, some of the more recent literature about those types of like um, compressive garments and, and including a belt. Like people don't think of a belt as a compressive garment, but it's like applying a pressure all of the time to your trunk and and the digestive issues and the pelvic issues that come from playing with those pressures. 
Oh, and that's why you'll only find me in elastic waist pants. There, there you I go. said it. I said it. <laughs> I've, I've constructed both my careers around being able to just wear yoga pants all the time. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't even have any formed. I don't have any movement restricted clothing anymore because it's not worth it. It's just like we were talking about how you feel the stillness or you feel the heel under your shoe. I can feel the limitations of um, clothing that doesn't move with my body. It's like being in a straight jacket. So just over the last 10 years, I don't have anything left. I have one pair of jeans and they are totally like baggy and stretchy and they're like my camping my camping jeans. But other than that, everything is Lycra, baby. Yep. I'm with it's you. not really Lycra. It's not really Lycra. It's just all flexible. Flexible. Elastic and flexible. Yeah. I also have one pair of jeans. So, and they're loose and baggy. And that's just the way I like them. Yep. So, well, what about a, in a bigger scale? Maybe just is being inside or, or yeah, is being inside a cast is... We know sitting in our chair is, we know sitting and watching TV on the couch can cast our bodies, but what about just kind of living from car to house to office to store to car to house? Yeah, I mean, being inside, being in, and I'll, I'll, I'll break down being inside into two different categories. Being inside of a structure, I mean, it's casting the limit it's setting the let the limitations of your your physical responses to things like temperature and wind and and other sensory inputs that have mechanical um responses so you know people lose the ability to deal with hot and cold which are which are physical responses of shunting blood right and dissipating heat as needed or or using your like horripilation which is a fancy word for goosebumps to move hairs to trap air to warm it so that you get a pocket of warmth around the body like all of these are movements they're they're small movements but all of those are metabolism um expending functions all of those have musculature that adapts to its being used or not. Um, so in that way, being inside of a structure is affecting, you know, the forces that you create with your muscles. And then um, then there's, I guess, we could probably end the show <laughs> with talking about being inside of a culture. Like the, being the cast, like feeling that our decisions, that the the spectrum of decisions that are available to us are casted, so to speak, by what's accepted socially, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Sometimes I just have to really think about it because it makes me shift my um, my way of thinking about it. So I just have to digest the what you just said. And that was good. Casted. 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 So many different ways to be casted. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to get outside today? I'm going to use my two legs to walk outside and um, we're going to do some hiking later on. And then I've been doing a lot of swimming lately. Swimming is, I, I think I mentioned before, maybe on a different show, that I I love uh, swimming. Swimming like depth diving and and, and really moving in a non-repetitive, like, like not going and swimming stroke, 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 back You're and not forth doing in laps. a lap. No, no, no. Just like free diving and um, kind of pretending that I'm a seal. I pretend I'm a seal now. It's something I've done my whole entire life, but before I pretended I was a mermaid. Um, including like binding my ankles together with oh. a ring <laughs> and then pretending that I was a mermaid for hours in the pool. So I've kind of 
started doing that again. Our kids are in swim lessons and we've got some great lakes that we're headed to for some travels um, for work this summer. So that's how I will be getting my movement and um, and also to the post office. I try to walk to the post office for work every day to, to blend movement into my my actual work production. So that's what I'll be doing. How about you? That sounds good. I am going to plant some seedlings um, out in my garden. I've been growing them inside, and I was going to plant them. And right before I grabbed them to plant them, my neighbor said, did you hear about the hailstorm that's coming our way? And sure enough, golf ball-sized hail hit a half hour later, uh, broke windows in our house. Um what? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. It was, it was huge. It was like in, nothing you've ever... It was like we were under a military assault in our old you know, 1900s house. And, um, and I was so happy that he said that because all these tender cucumber and, and pea shoots that I've been growing and tending, they would be dead. They would just be dead. So now... Pummeled. Pummeled. Pummeled to pummeled. death. Yep. So now is the day that they get to see the sunshine for reals. And so do you. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I hope you have an awesome time swimming today, and I will talk to you later. All right, Danny, have fun in the garden. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Katie Bowman's edutaining blog, katiesays.com. For books, online classes, downloads, and continuing educational courses with Katie, visit the Restorative Exercise Institute at restorativeexercise.com. Her most anticipated book, Move Your DNA, will be available in September 2014. You can learn more about Danny Hemet at moveyourbodybetter.com and dannyhemet.com.